really cold out here today. I don't know about you guys, but it was minus 30 this morning. Um, oh, yeah. So so we've been back inside a little bit more. But it has also given us time to ponder on things. And we thought, hey, you know what? Valentine's will be coming in a few weeks. And we thought we would uh, dig a little more into what this whole Valentine's Day thing means in relationship to our, our plants. And uh, so, yeah, for this episode of Regenerative Landscapes, I think Dan is going to start us off with a prickly rose is not a rose by any other name except a prickly rose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, and that, and I don't know, I kind of picked it because, yeah, it's Valentine's Day. You know, when you think Valentine's Day, you think of chocolate and roses. And, I mean, we have our provincial flower as the wild rose or quickly wild rose. So why not talk about it? Mm-hmm. I, thought, <laughs> see, I thought we've talked about it, but apparently we haven't. So <laughs> no, this is no, native plants. We've talked, about, we've talked about the provincial grass. That's what I talked about. Yes. Not the rose. That's what I was getting confused with. But yeah. Yeah. We have so many plants to <laughs> choose from it. Sometimes it's hard to figure out which ones we've already talked about sometimes. It just means you're going to be stuck for with us for a long time because we have so many episodes that we could do just based on the plants alone. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so we're going to talk about prickly wild rose. Um, yeah, it's got like a nice pink, pinkish flower. Um, and it's usually like a one to three kind of petal arrangement. Um, and yeah, I guess before <laughs> starting everything with all the details, it's I mean, first off, I guess with <laughs> the woody stems, like, I mean, it's called prickly rose for a reason. So, I mean, I wouldn't totally recommend, uh... <laughs> well, actually, I don't know. They're, they're let extra me, prickly. Let me ask you guys, would you, would, <laughs> would, you, would you give prickly roses to a special somebody for Valentine's Day? Or would you still kind of go with the traditional <laughs> roses actually, that you, you know normally what? get? That's funny. I, I Actually, I would, but I would just do it on a, on a different level. So I might give somebody... Um, maybe the rose hips or the rose petals because you can use them. Well, of course, my background, you can use them for teas and other other purposes. And those parts aren't prickly um, versus the prickly rose stems are very prickly. They're the most prickly rose out of any of our roses that we have natively in Alberta. However, that being said, just because you might not want to handle one, they're an awesome shrub and you shouldn't underrate them or berate them either there you have yeah oh i think they're I mean, <laughs> me personally i don't like to <laughs> working with them <laughs> especially if it's, it's a big, my favorite yes yeah, when somebody favorite. else is pruning them or dealing with them yeah yeah if, I, if i'm observing somebody from afar dealing with it then yeah they're my favorite but if i have to be the one that has to uh you know trudge through a <laughs> whole forest of it to clean up some other stuff then yeah it's not my favorite as much yeah, I, I have a story to tell here so uh me and dan we worked with a landscaping company together and then uh, they were doing some sitting inspections so before that we had to remove all the weed around the rose bed so dan was so particular about the thing so he actually got into it and <laughs> just dug around it and then who knows that bed was not very well maintained so the prickly rose was pretty much just everywhere and then he wasn't even wearing long sleeves and after it's done well i didn't take a picture should have taken a picture the arm was just i don't know it's it's, so he, it's something else he didn't have gauntlets on or anything he's just going in there no, no i had gloves there, like, like, <laughs> 
And I don't know, he's just so detail-oriented about those stuff. No matter, like, what people tell him, he's just, like, trying so hard. Next time, then, you know what, just, um, you know, those city inspectors, they're lazy, they like to protect themselves, probably they're not going to even dig into it. So don't even worry about the weed underneath the prickly rose, no one's going to see it. (laughs) Right. But yeah, definitely um, scratch pants and gauntlet gloves are a must when you're dealing with uh, with roses because uh, they are prickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so have some history with wild rose. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, roses are from the Rosaceae family, uh, and there's a bunch in there, but I think the two main, like, I mean, I don't even know how many we have in Alberta, but I think, like, the two I can think of is um, Prickly Wild Rose and um, Rosa Woodsy. Why am I blanking on the common name? <laughs> the Woodland Rose? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, the, I'm just... Because <laughs> the, dog, the dogwood roses are, like, our dog roses are, are prairie rose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, there's a bunch, but um, yeah. So anyways, they're all part of the Rosaceae family or the Rose family. Um, and they're a deciduous shrub which usually grows about, uh, you know, two and a half meters on a good day. Um, and they're pretty hardy, especially for our kind of area uh, for growing. And they usually flower between um, uh, May May to June around there. And then they kind of have mm-hmm. their seeds and stuff ripen uh, kind of later in the fall. Um, yeah, because you can actually and, go out and as long as nothing's eating them, you can pick the rose hips all the way through a good portion of the winter. So. Yeah, that's what I did last fall was uh, we had a whole bunch of roses that we put in and um, and there were older, like more mature ones. So they had uh, seeds ripened and ready to go. So yeah, yeah I oh. collected a bunch of those. And- um, sorry, I just, um, I stumbled upon. Yes, so there are actually four species of wild rose in Alberta. So we've got uh, a Sicularis or however you say that, that's the prickly rose we're talking about. Uh, Arkansana, Woodsy, and Blanda. But Blanda's the one that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I've not heard of that one either. Smooth wild rose. Oh, look! There's a rose for you, Dan. It doesn't It doesn't have very no many prickles. thorns. It has. I mean, I don't think there's a, a thornless rose, truly, but this one has few thorns. Uh, well, it might be my new favorite rose. And, of course, the prairie rose is the one, Arkansana. It's the one, it actually dies back each winter and then regrows from the bottom because it's out on the prairies in much more extreme conditions. But the other ones um, grow from previous growth. So, but yeah. Woohoo. Yeah, I have to look into that more. Um, But then what else? Oh, yeah. And with that particular species, uh, they're uh, considered uh, hermaphro... How can I say this right? Hermaphrodite. Oh, yeah, both sexes, yes. Her yeah, mouth. so they both have male and female organs. Yeah. And those, yeah, so, yeah, pollinated by insects with a lot of plants. And and the plant is, yeah, self-fertile. Excuse me. And yeah, so with the flowers, yeah, they have about one to three flowers, usually one, but can be bunched up. Um, and um, they're kind of a, the flower shapes are kind of like a saucer-shaped. And as I said, yeah, their color is can be pinkish usually it's pinkish but it can be you know a deep rose color which i to me when i say like a rose color it's a little there's a little more red to it um in the pinkish color if that makes any sense yeah so a darker shade for sure and then they can also sometimes i've seen some that are um 
not quite bleached out all the way, but they're definitely a fairly light pink too. And, and still all in the same species. So. Yeah. And then, um, and then kind of like in the center of the flowers, like, you know, it's, you got the nice pink, uh, petals on the outside. Usually it's kind of, yeah, you got like, you know, five of them kind of surrounding it. And then like right in the middle or with the, well, I'm looking at the, uh, the stamens, uh, mm-hmm. in the middle, it's got that nice bright yellow, yellow. color right in the middle. Yeah. Good so target for the it. bees. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they've got and... a very mild, um, like just a hint of a, a perfumey smell to them. So yeah, like yeah, like I mean, if you were to really rub it and grind it down, you could probably get more <laughs> of a smell. But even just yeah, lightly kind of rubbing it between your fingers or just kind of getting a waft of it, yeah, you kind of get a faint. Yeah. Yeah. So again, smell. if you're if you're planning on giving them in some aspect to somebody as a gift for I don't know, say Valentine's or something, then you don't have to worry about them being um, crazy perfumey, kill you with. Uh, filling the whole room with smelling like your grandma. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's an ongoing joke about how the uh, senior ladies really like their strong floral perfumes, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that's the case. It's just a funny joke. But um, but yeah, and uh, well, I guess I'll let you continue because I'm sure there'll be more of this answered as you go. Oh, no, you can bring it up. You know, we're just... Oh, I was going to bring up from the, the rosehip point of view, um, you can make rosehip jelly from them and also the seeds are actually quite hairy and um i don't know what the scientific term is but you can get itchy bum from those hairy seeds if you are to ingest them so you need to either take them out or simmer and strain or or something thoroughly so that you don't get the hairs off of those seeds when you're doing such things as making your teas or your jellies and that kind of thing from the hips. So don't just go out and pick a hip and pop it in your mouth because you'll regret later when you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Chibaho <laughs> is my favorite. Mm. But yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, there's they are edible. Or like a, a few other parts are edible. So yeah, the fruits themselves, you can have them raw or cooked. Uh, and yeah, it can be used in syrups, purees. Or you can dry them and use them, yeah, like in teas and soups. Yeah, I think we've talked about like rosehip tea stuff, right? I think in a previous episode. Um, so I, think... I don't even know if it's been an episode. It might have been at my tea workshop. Yeah, oh, that <laughs> could have been. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. It's all the same thing. And uh, yeah, and also to know that they're very high in, in vitamin C. So they're, they're a good um, a survival vitamin plant. And oh, that's another reason why they're popular for tea as well, because they're high in vitamin C. And you get a different um, a different taste and a different kind of purpose that comes out if you use the petals for a tea versus the uh, the hips and different flavor. Mm-hmm. So, Because, yeah, you can also use the leaves too, I believe, which is also rich in vitamin C. I don't think as much as the hips themselves, but I know I think the leaves you're able to. Um, but I just don't think they're as flavorful. Um, and then also I think the young, young shoots, uh, you can peel them and eat them too. Um, but yeah, they have to be pretty young. I think when they get a little more mature, I think they just, they're not as tasty. Well, they get, they get a lot tougher, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, just and then what else? Yeah. The, and then yeah, the petals you can use for tea and stuff as well. Uh, and then, yeah, the seeds themselves are good for, uh, have a good source of vitamin E, and you can actually ground them and mix them, like, into a powder, mm. if you want to use that for, uh, you know, 
certain like like as a supplement for I don't know whatever you're gonna. <laughs> I'm actually not even 100 percent 100 sure what you really what it would be supplementing, but apparently you can turn them into a powder and eat them. So, um, huh. and then he yeah, asked Don said, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, make sure that if you are eating them, uh, yeah, you don't you remove the hairs because <laughs> yeah, otherwise yeah. you're gonna get that itchy butt." <laughs> And they're a great um, habitat plant, I guess, for a lot of different uh, insects and whatnot. So you also want to be careful what times of the year you're harvesting and and when, because you might have little tag-alongs, because they are prone to getting things like certain galls from some uh, wasps and stuff. And uh, there's some, uh, what do they call them, the little like the pear slugs and a whole bunch of little guys that like to eat the leaves and stuff. So um, you just want to, if you see, if you're, if you're looking at picking them to to eat or to make tea from or whatever, as soon as you see them in pristine condition, get them then because it could only be a day or two and things might change with some critters eating the leaves or leaving little deposits around all over the bush so you don't really want to use it. Actually, after a rainstorm is really good once the leaves have dried out a bit too, because then they get kind of cleaned off naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, some other some additional uses for it. And again, as we always preface, like um, don't take our word for it just as soon as we say like it's able to potentially reduce uh, your chance of getting certain kind of cancer or something. Uh, Yeah, don't take that is, it's a guarantee it's going to happen. Um, yeah, like consult your but, local health professional, your certified yeah. health professional, if, you, if you're worried about, and same thing for allergies, because it doesn't matter whether it's natural or not. You could be allergic to anything. So for the average person, you're probably fine having things like teas and stuff in foods and small amounts and everything. But if you are prone to having allergies or you're using it medicinally, then you might want to consult your health professional for sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, we're not like here. The, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, because we've, I mean, with, with roses, like apparently uh, it has been talked about that it, there are some instances of reducing your proneness, I guess, to getting cancer. But again, that's, you know, hearsay. And yeah, again, definitely <laughs> be wary and uh, make sure you do your research and know that, yeah, it's not a cure-all for everything. But no. yeah, there's been talk about that. We talked about that. It has a whole bunch of uh, vitamin C and other uh, uh, good minerals for you, as well as a weird one, too, um, is that it's a pretty good, like the rose hips are a pretty good source of um, uh, essential fatty acids, which you don't mm, really see right. in fruit too yeah. often <laughs> yeah, so yeah that's kind of an odd one but yeah i mean it's something that yeah if you're if you need more fatty acids in your diet um and you want something a little more natural that might be a potential but again do do more research into it because yes I think and proper pretty, research uh, actual science research like yeah. I, um there's a big difference <laughs> like, between don't, don't test it and say that that's the research <laughs> yeah uh well and also too so i'm going to an actual doc doctor's uh, like a phd um, accredited site and here they actually say whether some of the thought um, health issues that these plants can help are whether it really is true scientifically or whether more research is needed or whether it's just folklore or whatever right um, so here it's actually and this is something else too that's um, good to think about so depending on the part of the plant you can have different 
uh, vitamin mineral content or, or other constituents, right? So you, you might want to check into the part of the plant that you want for whatever your particular thing is, because you were talking about the rose hips, but the rose petals are actually, they're a good source of vitamin C as well, but also iron, calcium, vitamin A, and vitamin E. Um, I believe a bunch of those on that list are also in the hips, but um, not necessarily all of them. Um, they're also known to have antioxidant properties, which again, I think we've talked about before, the whole binding on to free radicals, which are the baddies that can lead to cancer cells and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So again, not that this is some miracle cure for cancer, but research has shown that um, having something like rose, whether it's petals or the hips or other certain plant uh, compounds can help stop the formation of cancer cells and protect your your body from uh, certain cancer-like changes. So, so yeah, pro- probably better as a preventative than treatment. But you know, anyway, um, of course, it's caffeine-free is another thing. So for some people, that might be a bonus. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and because of the, the the vitamin E and C, it's good for your skin, which is why uh, you've heard of uh, like uh, rose water, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm sure that's going way back. That's why people started using that um, for washing their faces and putting it in healthcare products or whatever, because you're you're putting it on your skin, right? So, um, well, rose and of course, tub. What's that? Yeah, ro- well, and I'm sure part of that is also the nice smell and the, whether it's uh, an illusion or, or real, the thought that you're, you're you know, you feel cleaner because something smells nice. Um, that being said, I know back in the bubonic plague days, people would throw all kinds of smelly stuff on them to cover up their rank <laughs> body odors and stuff because they didn't <laughs> bath very often. Uh, but yeah. And of course, um, the rose the rose hip is quite often used in um, like when people have uh cold flu like symptoms like coughing and congestion and they're doing more research to find out how it affects the immune system but it's thought that it's it's uh because of things again like the vitamin c and the axio on antioxidant properties that um it may have a positive effect on your immune system so give you a, a bit of a boost if there's some bug going around uh, but mm-hmm. don't think it's going to be the uh cure-all for, ah, no, something like COVID though, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and also a lot of um, aromatherapy type of attributes too, which could be, whether it's psychological or whether it's scientific, it's hard to say in some cases, but regardless, if, it, if it's doing something, does it really matter? Um, but research has been showing that like the, the aroma of rose tea with, with the petals here, now we're talking not the, uh, uh, the hips, but it may be like a stress reducer, anxiety reducer too. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, oh yeah, I, I went through this part in the, uh, uh, the tea workshop as well. Um, again, not absolutely confirmed because it's, I think it's only one or two studies, but there may be some potential with anti-inflammatory possibilities in powdered rose petal as well. And it might even be as effective as things like aspirin or ib- aspirin or ibuprofen which would be very interesting. Um, So sometimes uh, natural healthcare physicians may actually recommend it for things when you've got physical injury or arthritis. So, yeah. So there is a lot of potential with our roses um, as far as medicinal and um, maybe romantic notions or whatnot. 
what about out in the field, like reclamation or landscaping wise? Um, how does this shrub behave that way? And where would you like to use it in what situations? Because again, it does have the thorns, right? Oh, you're asking us a question. Sorry. <laughs> I'll do question um, work. Yes, question. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying how to apply it in a more kind of natural setting. Yeah, like when you guys are doing your uh, designing and landscaping, what kinds of situations would you suggest using it versus maybe not? Well, using one, it, right? yeah, like one, like one thing could be uh, for like if you're more focused on wanting to promote, you know, pollinators and stuff. Like I think that's a very nice shrub um, that I think you can, you know, put almost anywhere. Uh, well, I don't want to say almost put anywhere, but um, but like it, it grows in a lot of spaces because like you can. Mm -hmm. It can grow in sandy spots. It can grow in kind of loamy spots. It can grow in clay spots. Like it could kind of grow in a lot of different soil conditions. So, uh, but it does prefer kind of well-drained uh, soils. It doesn't like water kind of pooling around it. Um, it's not Which is funny because it likes, it likes moisture, but it likes the moisture to move through. Actually, there's a lot of plants like that, right? Like they don't want to be dry, mm -hmm. dry, but they don't want to be sitting in water. <laughs> so it's like, okay, Goldilocks plant. Eh, no. Um, other thing I was thinking of too is it does tend to sucker and spread. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the more you tend to cut it, the more it actually tends to grow, grow back, which can be a good thing if you're looking to get a nice bushy shrub. Um, but you're in a but smaller yeah, if, space. If you want it to be contained, it can be in smaller space might be trickier. But if you've got a larger space or you're trying to find something for maybe like reclamation purposes, something for soil erosion or whatever. I think they're great shrubs because they'll spread, they'll hold the soil together with their roots. Like you say, great pollinator plants and they provide habitat for a lot of other wildlife because even though they prickle us, they'll actually protect a lot of the um, smaller animals from predators and that kind of thing. So the birds can get in there, the rabbits, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also keeps yeah and it'll keep other people out though too so like if you are looking for something that you want to grow in a certain area but also keep some stuff out too uh prickly roses wouldn't be a terrible option again depending on what your objective is but that's one and then yeah also like if you wanted like an impromptu kind of more on kind of on the wild side um like hedge mm -hmm. roses wouldn't be could be a potential pick and also what's interesting is the wildlife has adapted to our prickly roses as well. So although roses are somewhat resistant to a lot of animals because uh, of the thorns, there are parts of them that are very um, delectable to deer. So quite often they'll come by and nip the buds off or the leaves um, or the, the new shoot growth. They're not generally going to get into the thorny part. So if you've got an established plant, you don't have to worry about the, the deer decimating them. They're just going to prune them for you. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And um, as far as, did you, did you look into why roses are, have been thought of as the, the romantic flower or, or any history that way? I have not. I'm just curious because, I mean, what, like you say, it's chocolates and roses at Valentine's, right? So. Looking at why are roses the flower of choice for Valentine's? How about you, Kevin? Do you know? I am reading. <laughs> oh, he's reading. He's studying it right now. 
the meaning of the prickly wild rose. The Romans also took to adopting many ancient Greek legends. Uh, however, they named their uh, uh, deity? deity, deity of love. Oh, deity. Venus. Okay. Yeah. They attributed wild rose uh, to Cupid, an offspring of Venus, the deity of love. According to myth, Cupid was busy shooting arrows in a garden of roses when he was stunned by a bee mid-shot. Later, as Venus was perusing through the garden, she picked her foot on a thorn left by Cupid, which in turn stained the roses with blood. Okay, mm. yeah, <laughs> that was the story. That's kind of funny, actually, that Cupid got stung by a bee. <laughs> <laughs> that'll serve you right for shooting your arrows everywhere um what's what's funny is so with some of our other um native plants i was looking up um you know the color red or what other native plants had uh you know possible valentine's correlation and it's funny that you mentioned the whole thing with venus there kevin because somehow i think venus just gets stuck on everything for valentine's day because venus is a symbol of of love and everything right but um the strawberry, because strawberry is considered very sensual, like chalk covers strawberries in particular, very sensual or whatever, right? And I'm like, well, is it just the red color or, or what's the deal there? So with them, there was a couple of things. Um, again, one of the main ones is it was considered the symbol of Venus because Romans, um, they ate strawberries all the time and you know what they did. Um, <laughs> but also because of the, uh, they figured the vitamins and mineral content and folate is a big one because it it um um is a, a like kind of a fertility nutrient right like people who are trying to get pregnant and all that stuff take folate right um so they figure it's it's uh got a, a fertility representation with it too i don't know if the roses do as well but that's interesting but in any case if it's um supported by venus it must be good so go out and get yourself a prickly rose <laughs> heard it here first and i believe that is our plant adventure guide for valentine's day pew, pew. Yeah.